Ibrahim, welcome to Inspired By. It's good to have you here. At the age of 16, I found myself in a position where I was homeless. I was probably on the streets for a good two and a half, three years. There was one night that I just feel like really embarrassed. I feel ashamed of myself. Like there was a, a physical feeling that I felt. I just said to myself, I said, this is it. This is not going to be your life. And that night is when I made the decision for the first time in my life that I was actually going to reach out for help. And that's when I went to um, my teacher, Mr. Adams, because he's the only one that really kind of believed in me. I'm walking past this house. I just remembered him pressing the button and they get open. I'm thinking, oh my God. So like those images just stick with you. And that's why, again, I've always had this attraction to property. I think definitely being homeless, you know, teaches you the value of property for one. So that definitely pushed me towards property. If you want to do something, all you've got to do is first of all believe it's possible. Welcome to Inspire By, the show that brings you inspiring stories from inspiring entrepreneurs with a twist. Now, I believe that every successful entrepreneur and celebrity on this planet has an inspiring story and they have stories that they haven't yet told. Not because they don't want to tell the story, but because they haven't been asked the right questions. So my job on the show is to ask the real questions so that you get the real answers. Now, with that in mind, let's get started. Welcome back to Inspired by Now. Today's guest is an entrepreneur, mentor, property investor, and the Need to Succeed podcast host. Please welcome to the show, Ibrahim Breimer. Ibrahim, welcome to Inspired by. It's good to have you here. Thank you so much, Chloe. It's great to be here. I'm really, really looking forward to this. Super excited about this. No problem. Well, thank you again. So obviously, we talked about your podcast earlier, Behind the Scenes, and I've been very gratefully featured on your podcast and interviewing your podcast, and it's all about success. Yes. Now, we're going to talk a lot about success today, but before we do that, I want to know a bit about Ibrahim behind the scenes before yeah. the success wow um before the success that, I mean that's probably the bulk of my of my story to be honest because you know a lot of these things like they say you know sometimes when things happen people tend to look at it now but no one really realizes what happened before but I always say as well I'm, I'm really really grateful for the journey that I've been on because that's what's allowed me to have the strength to actually get to where I am today um but me before I was born in Nigeria Really, really proud Nigerian. It's a lot of things going on in Nigeria that I'm not really happy about right now. But I'm a really, really proud Nigerian. I left Nigeria at the age of 13, moved to London for a couple of years, and then moved to Cambridge. Lived in. It's really weird. I lived. I went to London. I went to one of the worst schools in London. Two years later, I moved to Cambridge and I went to the fourth best school in Cambridge, secondary school, where me and my sister were the only black people in the school. Right. Um, you know. But then, you know, life kind of takes its toll. And by the time I got to college at the age of 16, I found myself in a position where I was homeless. And, you know, that journey, not, not the homeless journey in itself, but the journey to come out of that, you know, has really kind of built who I am today. Because, you know, I was probably on the streets for a good, you know, two and a half, three years, right? And um, I always do a presentation, something about networking, the power of networking. And I didn't realize how good a networker I was until I started working for an investment firm. And I realized that all those time when I was in the streets, I think Tony Robbins says, things happen for you or not to you. Mm. And when I was going through my difficulties, I wasn't really looking at things like that. But what I learned is when you're in the streets, the one thing that you're very, very good at is networking. Now, when you're homeless, because the reality is I'm saying, how am I going to feed myself today? Like, where am I going to sleep tonight? And you have to be able to build relationships, you know, strongly enough so people feel like they want to actually help you. And these were things that obviously came natural once I got into the corporate world. But I just remember one 
particular night. There was one night that maybe not everything changed, but the catalyst of my life, of who I am today, really, really changed. And it was in October, all right, of 2006. And I'm just, I'm, I'm there on this particular night, again, in a garage, you know, you got all the normal rubbish in there. And, you know, there's the little cardboard box on the corner with a duvet on it. And and this is this is my home. This is where I'm sleeping. But on this night, it was it was just really cold. It was freezing. It was wet. It was windy. And there's like a little crack just below the door and the floor of that garage. And now the wind is blowing in the rain. And my duvet is getting wet, right? And I'm just, I'm shivering. And I just feel like really embarrassed. Like I feel ashamed of myself. Like there was a, a physical feeling that I felt. Because the reality was, whoever I am today, I've always known this was in me. I've always known I had the ability to really become whoever I wanted to be. But everything that I had done in my life up to that point had got me to where I was, right? And I'm homeless. And I just said to myself, I said, this is it. This is not going to be your life. And that night is when I made the decision for the first time in my life that I was actually going to reach out for help. And that's when I went to, um, you know, a man who I hold, you know, in high regards, uh, my teacher, Mr. Adams, because he's the only one that really kind of believed in me. Even when I was running around in school, you know, acting a fool and all that sort of stuff, he would always say, what are you doing? Like, you can do, like, you're a smart guy. He was my history teacher. You can do so much more. Like, what are you doing? So I knew I could kind of rely on him, right? And, you know, I went to him, he helped me, get me back on track. Um, and just under two years from that day, I made it to university. Right? And that's that's pretty much where my journey started. But it wasn't about getting to uni and all that sort of stuff like people fantasizing because I didn't actually complete uni. Right? I dropped out like a year and a half later because I went to uni in 2008, had a recession, doing business. So I was like, you know what? Let me just go into the world and actually learn business. right? But it was the journey it took from where I was, having a set goal and with all the difficulties in place, just saying, you know what? I need to change my life. So it doesn't matter how difficult things are. I've still got to make it through. I've still got to do it. And having that, I keep talking about the power of having a goal, of having a vision. You know, every single morning I, I meditate and I visualize. And those two things are different for me because visualization for me is very, very pictorial. I know exactly what my house is going to be. I know exactly what it's going to look like. I know exactly what my family is going to look like, right? And that power is what was able to allow me to push through those difficulties to actually get to the end goal. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, that's, you know, and then the journey kind of starts, you know, when to become an estate agent, that's a different story in itself. And then kind of, you know, built myself up to where I am today. Wow. And that's such an inspiring story, which is why obviously I wanted to ask you to be on Inspired by Show. Now, Ibrahim, you've talked a lot about all the different challenges and different scenarios you were in. Going back to the piece of being homeless, if we can first, you talked about the moment where it changed and something shifted. But that was two and a half years, three years of your life. What was that experience like for you? Because a lot of people crave stability, crave certainty. You know, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, safety, security is the foundation. Yeah. So how how did you go through those two and a half, three years? If I'm honest with you, it's, it's a really good question, by the way. No one's ever asked me that question. And it is a really good question. And I still suffer with that today. That's the truth. Because I always say to people... It doesn't matter the situation. Because of what I've been through, I always feel like I'm going to be all right. Mm. So that's the positive side of it. But on the flip side of that is understanding your emotions. 
and actually it, like being emotionally intelligent because not really caring, not having that stability, not really having family and all, like in the traditional sense, right? Having that, you know, I can speak to this person, I can do that. It allows you ultimately to detach from your emotions and detach from people as well, in a sense, right? And that's something that I'm working on now, you know, to really kind of become better at. Because I feel like, okay, it doesn't matter. And same emotions when you should be tapping it, when you should be considerate of people say, actually, you know what, it doesn't matter. Like, that's not really a healthy thing, right, when it comes to relationships, right? Mm. So that's something I'm struggling with now. But how did I do with that at the time? Look, all of these things that I'm talking about is with a with hindsight. The truth is, at the time, I'm just living. It's just day to day. Right? Like, it's cool. And when you're homeless, it's not like every single day was terrible because I had friends, Right? You know, and, you know, there was times when I had a bit of money in my pocket. You know, when I'd get some drugs, sell the drugs, make some money, mm-hmm. and I'd be cool. But in those days, it's living from day to day. So when I'm saying I'm cool, I'm cool for a few days and I'm back to the same situation again. Mm-hmm. Because what you don't have is mentorship. You don't have support. You don't have people. You don't have a goal of getting out of that situation. You just find yourself in that situation and this is just where you're at. So if you haven't got a goal of getting out of there then it's just a, it's a revolving cycle, right? You're just going through it again. So even when you have got, you know, a little bit of resources, they get depleted really quickly and then you find yourself, you know, back where you were to start with. So mm-hmm. that's essentially what it was. It wasn't a case of processing the situation. It was just living through it, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned resources because what I often find with people, when we have got difficult situations, you know, when the shit does hit the fan, it is about being resourceful, yes. not just looking at the resources you've got. And that's similar to what you mentioned being homeless or struggling in a situation, it's about looking at, well, where are the resources and where can I find them? And, you know, doing things we don't always want to be doing, but getting the result because it's part of our survival Mm. and also the need to survive. Now, you mentioned about in your childhood, you know, moving over here from Nigeria at 13. And there's an element of stability and security within that as well. Mm. How, How do you remember that? that experience arriving to the UK and, and how was that for you in terms of the need of stability and security? That was actually, that was a cool experience. You know, for that, you got to understand, you know, when I was growing up in Nigeria, we weren't exactly wealthy, right? It wasn't as if I was living in this utopia, right? So, um, but, but I had a family, you know, so it was my, you know, my aunties and my uncles and, you know, my cousins, but they were like brothers and sisters because we'd grown up together. So I actually cried. It was weird. Like when it said like I was leaving, I remember like in bed sobbing and like my cousin putting a hand over me, you know, my mom was my auntie. She come over and it was just like, bro, you knew this was like, were you crying? Like you knew this was happening, right? But it was just weird because it's like I'm leaving my family, but it's also this excitement, you know, where you're moving to the UK. Watch all these films on TV, all these white people, England, everything is great. So it's like, hey, listen, we're going to the UK, baby. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is going to be good. So there wasn't, there wasn't, it was actually more a feeling of, I wasn't thinking I'm going to be more stable, but it was a thinking of I'm going to a better land. I'm going to, you know, a a better place. There's going to be a better future. There's hope now, right? So it, it was actually a positive outlook, you know, in those times when I was moving over here for sure. And did it live up to the expectations? Was it as great as you expected or you saw in the movies? As a child, yes. You know, when you get older, you understand the propaganda, the propagandist nature of obviously what the, the Western culture tried to put over to Africa. You realize, ah, you know what? You guys are not much better than us. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And you listen, life is not that much better. 
right? Because I think about it now contextually, when I think about the quality of food I was eating in Nigeria, the quality of life that I had, you know, the friendships I had, um, I, I wouldn't really say that that is better in the UK. In fact, I would prefer, you know, to live in Nigeria with all of those things. Obviously, there's context to that. Um, being in the position I am now, it's a lot easier for me to go back to Nigeria and have, you know, a pretty good life because of the resources that I've got. You know, but if I say the resources I've got here in the UK and in Nigeria, where would I rather live? In Nigeria. You know, right? That's just the truth. But, you know, obviously at the same time, if you're someone in a position where you're looking for opportunities and you're just on the start of your journey, then, you know, most definitely you want to be in the West because there are more opportunities, even though some people here may not see those. You know, if you're willing to work hard and take chances, you can really become something, whatever you want to be in the UK, you can because the opportunities are there. So it's a juxtaposition. It depends on where you are in life. Mm. would depend on the way that I would answer that. Yeah. And also what you've got, like you said, the opportunities, the resources, having resources in the UK allows more opportunity there or, or vice versa, depending on what you have and where you're starting. Exactly. Now, you mentioned about obviously the changes that you face coming to the UK, moving to, the, moving to London, then moving to Cambridge. And you mentioned that you went from one of the worst schools in London to then one of the best schools in Cambridge, being the only two black people in the school. Yeah. What was that experience like for you? Um... It's weird, man. It's weird because once again, I've I've never really had this stability thing. You know, so just to give you some context on that, when in Nigeria I was actually born in a village. Right. So I'm from the great empire of Benin, right? In Nigeria. So from Edo State, Benin is the capital of Edo State. So I was born in a village in Isha, Uromi, in Isha, right? And then from there is before I moved to the city. Because, you know, one point my mom was my auntie. She comes to the village and she saw the way I was living and she, you know, she tells me the story where she just started crying, right? And then she called my mom like, please, let me take, let me take him, right? Let me take him. So again, I've moved from there, you know, into the city and stuff like that. So moving from London into Cambridge wasn't really that strange. Also, my stepdad was white, mm. right? So going to like all white school again didn't really seem that strange because, you know, we'd been going to church, Right in London, we're going to church. So there was black people in church, there was white people, our pastors were white. You know, so there wasn't like this, oh my God, there's just white people all over the place. So it wasn't really bad. And I'm a people person. I've always been a people person. You know, I like to interact with people, all that sort of stuff. So it wasn't really that bad. And, you know, I'm also capable of looking after myself. So listen, it's cool anyway. Like people are going to talk, people are going to get slapped, things are going to happen and we move on. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So those typical things that you'd expect did happen. I wouldn't say, you know, that there was that much racial things from the students, if I'm completely honest. The racial things actually came from the teachers. Wow. Yeah, which, which is really, really weird. Um, that, that really came from the teachers because there's just a way. Because they haven't... When I think about Cambridge back then, I'll be walking in the streets and, you know, you get like an old guy. I'm, I'm a young guy, right? You get an old guy walk past the street and spit on the floor. Right, that was Cambridge back then because there's not this, there's not, and I think it comes down to having an interpersonal relationship with people of different colors. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't got that, it's really difficult for you to understand that they're just human, just like you. Not that's really difficult, it depends if you're open minded. If you're not as open minded, then it might be a bit more difficult. But nonetheless, I, I understand that nuance, right? And I said, because for me, I use this example on another podcast I was on a couple of weeks ago to say the propaganda about race is so much in the West that even me as a black man who is, you know, I like to say I'm, I'm Pan-African in my views. If I'm going walking somewhere at night, not now, I try to, you know, I try to consciously, you know, be aware of my thought process. But if I'm walking down the street at night 
in London and I see a black man, I've got like a bit of a, of a you know, let me just be on alert, right? Mm. And if I see a white man, I don't have the same feeling. Why is that? And that's me as a black man that got experiences of a black man and experiences of white people. Why do I feel that way, right? Mm. It's again because of the propaganda. So imagine a white person who's never had an experience of any black people and all they get is the information in the press, then obviously there's going to be, you know, a certain connotation. So whenever there'll be confrontations in school, I'll always be the one in the wrong, right? Whenever any situation happened, it's always me getting punished for it. So there was all little things like that. Um, but aside from that, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. I enjoyed school. I'm grateful for you saying that though, because even from someone in your situation, you've had that experience because of the propaganda. I'm a massive believer in that it's all about the environment that you're in. I'm very fortunate. My mum, when she was 18 was hanging around with a lot of black people in, in Liverpool where she's from. And she was the only white person hanging out with them. And so my granddad actually said, you either stop hanging out with those people, those people, or I'll throw you on the street. And she said, I'll pack my bags. Wow. And she left. So my whole family, my whole life, I've never, ever noticed a difference. And this is honest to the truth. And when we started Queens in Business, which is obviously a business that you've been familiar with for a while, when we actually merged as co-founder group, it was only until about three months into us promoting it that everyone said to me, Chloe, do you know you're the only white co-founder? And, <laughs> and you started like, it. And I was the one that started it. I picked the people and it's because I picked them based on their experience and yes. their expertise rather than their skin color. Now we actually attract more completely different multicultural, different religions, different backgrounds, different wealth, everything because of our variety. Mm. So I guess my question for you, Ibrahim, is from your experience, obviously I was gonna ask you, has things changed? So I'd love to know that, but also what do you think we need to do, whether that's as a community, as a nation, as a, as a planet, to actually make shifts in that so that we can stop people of all backgrounds feeling uncomfortable with just differences? Listen, I, I don't have the answer. No, that's the truth. What can we do? I think just listen, because it's weird. It's 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 very very weird to me. But the one good thing is, I would say, you know, there's there's a lot of bad sides to social media, but there's a lot of good sides to social media as well. And with social media, we cannot start to see that maybe. I mean, some of us have already known this for a while, but maybe what we hear on the press in newspapers, maybe. <laughs> might not just be true, just maybe, right? I think we're all starting to agree with that now. So I think people, there's a little bit more critical thinking because people, well, actually, this is my belief. And last time I heard them saying this on the news and I know they were incorrect. So maybe they're also incorrect about other things as well and the way that they portray those messages. So I think that's a good thing. It's allowing people to at least question what they heard first. Because if you question something, it's a good thing. Like Tony Robbins says, I keep talking about a lot about Tony Robbins, right? He's my guy. But if you ask the right questions, then it leads you to the right path to get the answers. Mm -hmm. So if you said, is this true? If you care enough about that question, then you're going to try and find out the information. And the truth is, when you look into the information, you find out that actually we're not any different. Mm -hmm. So that's going to give you the answer that you're looking for. So it's just about, you know, people are more inquisitive these days. And I think, you know, with that, we're going to get to a better place. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned Tony Robbins a few times and you said he's your guy. I always find it fascinating to look at who has inspired us on our journey because mm -hmm. I always treat, I always imagine inspiration as like a ripple effect mm -hmm. and you then inspire other people. So who's inspired you on your journey? Is there anyone back then when you were in that garage or you were homeless or even at school that inspired you to really tune into your need to succeed? Um, if I'm completely honest, no. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not that guy. See, I, I'm the guy that I don't, 
go to concerts. I'm like, why am I going to go watch another man just stay on stage and sing? Or like, why am I, like, do you understand? I'm that guy. I don't look at people in that way. Um, and listen, everyone around me does. So it's not like, I get it. Like, all the people enjoy that stuff, you know. You know, my partner's an actress. She enjoys that stuff. It's just never really been me. So I wouldn't say there was anyone on my journey. But obviously, you know, now that, you know, I'm in a position where I've worked through that situation, and now there's now a lot of people that have inspired me. So maybe not so much through then, but when I was going to my journey of rehabilitation, I guess you could say, um, then of course, you know, I started reading books like Rich Dad Poor Dad. You know, I started listening to people like Tony Robbins. And now there's just so many, so many different people, you know, who have, who have inspired me, mainly through books, you know, and reading and, you know, wanting to be motivated and wanting to be inspired and reading business books because I'm trying to get better myself. So, um, yeah, a lot of people are about Tony Robbins, is, you know, is, is one of the big ones because, you know, for Tony Robbins, for example, this is not a story I tell a lot, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a black man from an African background, right? I'm, I'm not a small guy as well. So I'm pretty butch. I was in my thinking. And, you know, this whole idea of, like, depression, anxiety, all that sort of stuff, it's just like, especially if you come from an African background, listen, like, don't be talking this talk. And I do also remember 50 Cent saying as well, like, the luxury, you get the luxury of being depressed if you're privileged. Because, listen, if you're depressed from the hood and you've got kids, you still got to go to work the next day and feed the kids. So I do understand that as well. But I remember my first business. And I, and I had this business... And it's kind of like, yes, you know, you understand I've been on this journey, the homelessness, I've come out of it, and you know, like people are still kind of looking at me like, ah, oh, do you know what I mean? It's still, um, where is he at? And this was my first business. Now, you know, I've been through the corporate world now I've learned my own business in insurance and in insurance brokerage. And then the business fails. So just one day, we get a phone call, you know, the FCA is shutting you down because we weren't appointed representative and the company who was directly authorized they'd been doing some misgivings and so the FCA was shutting them down, which means we're no longer authorised. And in just one day, you know, I got the phone call from my business partner, business is done. Right? And it was just everything just came crashing down in my head. I'm embarrassed. Everyone was looking up to me going, yes, Ibrahim's made it. Right? You know, my partner, this time she was a drama squad, I told her, listen, just go and focus on that. I've got you. I'll support you. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, don't worry about it. So I'm thinking about her Again, I'm feeling embarrassed. I'm back in the situation like, what is going on? And I just remember laying in bed and just heart palpitations. Genuinely, I'm sitting there. It's like 2 o'clock in the morning again. My stories are always in the morning, like early when it's dark, right? It's about 2 o'clock in the morning. Like, my palms are sweating, right? But they're cold. And I woke up. And I'm, I'm in my mother-in-law's house. I walk up to her door and I'm sat right outside her door to her bedroom. And the reason I went up there is because I thought I was going to die. I thought, like, I'm dying. Like, my heart's beating really fast. My hands are sweating, but they're cold. I'm like, what's going on? I'm going to die. And I sat there because I thought to myself, you know, if the time comes, I want to be able to fall back through her door, get her attention, you know, so she can take the necessary steps. And like that moment is, I didn't realize in that moment, but the reality of what happened is I was anxious. I had anxiety. I was having a panic attack and that's what it was. But where it's something that never happened to me before, I didn't even believe it was possible. 
Because I always think like, yeah, you, yeah, but you know it's a panic attack, so you just kind of get over it. But this was happening for hours. I'm like, I can't get over this. I know this is not real, but it's very real and it's happening. And the reason that happened is because, you know, after that situation, I just locked myself up for a good couple of weeks. Locked myself up, not doing anything, just like really just down, thinking what's the next step? Like, what's the way out? I can't just go and get another job now, which obviously I could. And I did, right? But in those moments, I would just feel, you know, you feel this embarrassment, people looking up to you, you know, you told people you're going to do some stuff and all of that, right? And that happened for a couple of weeks. And then, Tony Robbins, right? I listened to him on YouTube, right? And he said, you know, so, you know, he talks about physiology. Just get out there and move, right? Mm-hmm. So I got out there, you know, started walking. And then I started jogging. Right? And then I started running. And then I was doing more laps, like one lap, two laps, three laps, four laps. And, you know, before you knew it, you know, talking another couple of weeks after that, you know, I've got a job. Um, I said to myself, okay, that's it now. We're moving to the city. Let's go play with the big boys. At this point, I'm still in Southampton. I'm like, okay, you know what? Let's go do this now. Like, I don't care about nothing else. It's now just all about the money, which was wrong. But in that state, that's what I thought. Because I said, I never want to be in a position again where I'm going to put my family in a position where we're vulnerable. Because what I hadn't done is protected myself. Yeah, I was making good money prior to starting the business, but I hadn't protected myself. And that business folding meant I put my family in a vulnerable position. And I said, that is never going to happen again. So I was just purely focused on money. Let's go to the city. Let's go play with the big boys. You know, and that's when I you know, applied for the role at the, at the investment firm in the city, got the role. And then um, you know, that's kind of really where the, la- the second part of my journey really started. Yeah. And it's interesting that you mentioned Tony Robbins and his, his teachings. When when I had my second bout of serious depression, I remember listening to his, his podcast every day. And similar, going for walks, started going for jogs. And it got to the point now where I've anchored his voice. Yeah. So when I hear the, his voice, automatically my physiology changes. Um, and I want to move and I want to, you know, walk or jog. And I think it's powerful, some of the tools that we can come up with where people say, oh, listen to a podcast or, you know, go outside the house. When you're really feeling shit, you don't want to go anywhere, Mm-mm. right? And Mm-mm. I think it's it's important for us to acknowledge that actually sometimes it's just the very, very, very small things. And you, you talked about the Ibrahim doing whatever it took, you know, don't, I can't go back and having a job. Actually, I can, I will, I did, and it worked. So... <laughs> Where where did you think this need to succeed really came from? Is it something that you brought over with you from Nigeria? Or do you think it was created on the journey? No, it's definitely something I brought over with me in Nigeria. You know, I tell a lot of stories. It's another story of me kind of growing up poor in Nigeria. The thing about Nigeria is Nigeria has a way of rubbing wealth in your face. So you could be like, you could be in abject poverty and you will see, you know, just wildly rich people. I won't say successful because you never know how people made their money in Nigeria, right? But they just got a lot of money. Right? So wildly rich people. And I just remember one time just, you know, I'm out there doing my own thing and I'm walking past this house, right? And this guy is driving to the house and then the gate just opens, boom. And it's a massive house. And I'm looking... I'm like, do you know how much money this guy must have to be able to press a button from his car and the gate opens? Like, that was the vision. I just remembered him pressing the button and the gate opened. I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is, he is super rich. Do you know what I'm saying? So, like, those images just stick with you. 
And that's why, again, I've always had this attraction to property. I think definitely being homeless, you know, teaches you the value of property for one. So that definitely pushed me towards property. But I think just kind of growing up in Nigeria and just connecting really rich people to massive houses, because <laughs> you love it, you got big houses here in the UK, trust me. <laughs> it's your big house, yeah, go to Nigeria, they got big houses. So I've always just kind of connected that to wealth. So, and again, you know, when you come from not having a lot, or even if you've got a lot and you see things around you, there's going to be this desire within you. That's why I feel like, you know, there's, you know, when you talk about immigrants and immigration, you look at the way they contribute to society, it's because of where they're coming from. I go back to the thing, talking about the opportunities that are here. It's like, there's just this burning thing within you saying, oh, I can come here, I can do this and earn this. Like, do you know how much, my uncle, like my uncle lives in England now. He's always talking about, ah, how much is that in Naira? I'm like, um, you're not in Nigeria, bro. Like, don't stop converting everything to Naira. It's got nothing to do with it. But that's how we think. We're thinking, what could I do with that money back home? What could I do with that money back home? So, um, yeah, for sure, man. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that because there's always a comparison with a lot of people. I'm a massive believer in that often when we think of things in a place of lack, we always compare. So, yes. for example, I could get more for this there or... Why haven't I got that? That person has that. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting you mentioned about this man. You said he was wealthy, but you didn't know if that was always success. Mm -hmm. So what's the difference for you, Ibrahim, between wealth and success? Oh, that's a great question. I, I was saying that in the Nigerian context, because generally, you know, generally with success comes wealth, depending if you're talking about financial success, because, you know, success could mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people. That's the one thing that struck me about my podcast because they need to succeed. The first question I ask is, what does success mean to you? And what I've realized is everyone has got a different answer and it's not necessarily monetary, but something that always anchors it is value, is contribution. And now whatever that might mean to you, that could be in a relationship, right? It could be monetary. You know, for me, you know, definitely monetary success is something that drives me because where I'm coming from, I never want my daughter to even know what that world is. Now, there's other ways that I'm going to instill the same values because that's something that scares me. Like, how do I put my values into this girl that's never going to understand the life that I've lived? You know, but nonetheless, I don't ever want it to be in that situation. So I'm definitely driven by monetary success, but I'm also driven by relationship success because as I mentioned, there's this kind of a detachment because of the life I've lived of, I don't care, like, I'm going to be all right. Whatever happens, I'm going to be all right. People disappoint me, I'm going to be all right. So it's just like, I don't really have this attachment to like love or like, and all these sort of things. And, you know, my partner's really helped in that regard. We've been together for 10 years now. And, you know, when someone is just so pure and just so loving, you're like, ah, Bro, have you got to sort your shit out, mate? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, so, you know, that's been really, really good for me. But so those two things that are quite key in terms of um, in terms of the way that I view success. But yeah, so success and wealth in, in the Nigerian context, very, very different. You know, some of the wealthiest people in Nigeria are politicians. Right? And these people come into politics without any commerce, without any business. And then the next thing you know, they've got all of these millions and millions of pounds. Not even Naira millions of pounds and they're driving around with Ferraris and they're showing us this shit on Instagram. You're like, bro, are you not even embarrassed? You didn't have a business two years ago. Two years later, you're like a multimillionaire in pounds and dollars. Where's that come from? So that's why I, I detach it when it comes to, you know, the Nigeria context. And I know it's not just Nigeria. It's a lot of other countries. I mean, listen, this country is not, it's no different from that, yeah. right? You know, we see a lot of corruption happening here as well. But um, yeah, it's very overt back home in Nigeria. So that's why I kind of, you know, separated the both of them. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I think there's also a lot of that in the property space. Yes. You know, I'm, I'm 
very experienced property, you're very experienced property. We both train in property in different ways and have done in the past. And I, one of these that put me off from turning my accidental landlord portfolio into more <laughs> of a property investment portfolio was because of what I kept seeing in the industry. I felt like everyone was selling get rich quick. Everyone mm. was selling, you can become a property millionaire overnight. Mm-hmm. You're in that space way more than I am. Yeah. What's your views about property in that regard? And how does that differ when it comes to success? Um, it makes me sick, if I'm honest with you. It makes me sick. I used to work for, you know, probably the second largest property, you know, coaching business in the UK. And that's one of the reasons why I left. That's one of the reasons because, you know, people would be saying to me, because I used to do, you know, webinars for them. I used to speak on stages for them. And people would be saying to me, oh, bro, do you know what? You know, when I see you, when I saw you there, I was like, I've got to do this. And that's cool at the start, but when you're starting to see the back end in terms of people coming out, not getting any results, having spent tens of thousands of pounds, you start saying, look, this is disgusting. You know, and the reality is 80% of those people look like me. They're black. And I'm like, these people don't care about you. And you're spending all of this money and I'm a part of this system. Like, I can't be a part of the system. So for me, I have to detach myself from that. So it is very disgusting. And look... Can you make money for property? Yes. Can you make money for property by telling people that they've got to work hard? Yes, because I've started doing it. I've started my own coaching program and I'm telling people from the start, this is what it takes. Like, look, I had a coaching call yesterday, right? And um, I brought on two new students and both of them, I said to them, listen, I want to build a massive coaching business here in the UK. Right? I want to be one of the biggest coaching businesses here in the UK. And the reality is, this is very, very selfish from me. I don't want to work with you if you don't understand that this is going to be hard work. Because if you don't understand that, you're not going to do the work, you're not going to get the results, and that's not going to aid me. I want people coming in right now and getting huge results, so they're going to tell more people, and then those people are going to want to join. That's the only way that I grow. But you need to be willing to do the work, and if you're not, this is not for you, because I'm telling you right now, it's going to be hard work. It's going to be hard work. I'm going to give you the strategies, I'm going to give you the system, but you cannot make money through property. People talk about passive income. Like, to me, it is so disgusting and it's so manipulative that someone who's now a multimillionaire is telling you about making passive income when I know for a fact when they started on their journey, it wasn't passive. So imagine someone doing a nine-to-five, right? You're doing a nine-to-five and you wanna, you're earning maybe two, three, four grand a month and you want to replace that, but you want it to be passive. Like, what are you smoking? Do you know how active you have to be in that this is a new business, right? You, you're doing a nine to five. Is that passive? No. And that's making you 2K, 3K. And you want to be earning four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10K a month. And you want it to be passive. You need to pray that you work hard enough till you get to the position where you can make it passive. Like all the other, this other coaches talking crap to you because they're not in that position. It's not going to be that for you to start with. And it's easy for me to tell you it's passive income because then I'm going to get your money. But I don't give a fuck about the money. I give a fuck about you actually getting results because that's going to be my impact in this world. And the only way you're going to get results is to understand you've got to work. It's about expectation. If you come into this with the expectation of I've got to do the work, that's the only way I'm going to get the results, then it's cool. We're on the same page. And you know what? You probably will get the results because I've got the strategies. You know, I've done this. What I'm telling you is what I've done to get the results. And what I'm now showing other students that they're getting the results. So it can happen. But if you don't have this expectation and you think you can just come in and start earning passive income, then it's not going to happen. Then what we're doing there, we're just wasting our time. And guess what? I've got your money. (laughs) Yeah. Do you know what I mean? 
that's a joke. really refreshing though because it's a joke. that's what I that's the bit which I find so inspiring from your story Abraham is that you're not BSing anyone you're very upfront you're there's no hidden agenda you're like right guys this is what's in it for me. This yeah. is what's in it for you. Come with me. I'll show you how to do it, but it's not going to be easy. And I love that because you'll probably actually disqualify anyone that's like, nah, this seems too difficult. You know, here's your money back. Take it back and, you know, off. I, I don't want those people because the reality is, look, there was, I've been in this space long enough. Like I said, I've worked for the second largest. So I understand. I've seen people come in and not get results. Okay, sometimes it is also those people's fault. Don't get me wrong. You know, I can't void people of their responsibilities because ultimately, mate, you've put in tens of thousands of pounds. You better get your shit together. <laughs> like, let's be honest. You've got to do some work, right? And you've got to be pressing that person, even though they're not giving you the aftercare, you've got to be pressing them and be on their neck. Like, hey, I paid you this money. I need you to give me the support that I paid for. So there is obviously uh, a, um, a quid pro quo from that side of things. But the reality is, just let people know. Like, just be honest. And people are not stupid. And it is a filtration process because the reality is, I don't know how these people even have, like, confidence. Why would you not want to be the coaching company that's delivering the most results? You can be smaller to start with, but the reality is, the speed at which you're going to grow when you've got these tons of credible people saying, I've got these results from doing this. Like, to me, it's even a business strategy. And that's what I told them. This is why I'm doing this. I want to have a huge coaching company. And the only way I'm going to do that is by getting people results. Like, is that not a smart business move? Depends what you're driven by, right? A lot of people, and this is for any viewers or listeners watching, is ask yourself, what are you driven by? For some of them, some of the big spaces out there, some of the big industries, whether it's coaching, investments, everything, if they're driven by money, they will always go for the money. Whereas if you're driven by service and results, you'll always be getting service and results. And one of the things that really frustrates me about this industry is that a lot of people, and not even just industry, this whole work hard aspect is that a lot of people want the results. They feel the inspiration, but they want to get the results without doing the work. And that's why I'm not a massive fan in the same way as you said about the whole concept of passive anything. Because for me, it's about working to get the results. And people, I've met people that spend thousands, tens of thousands, 30,000 of pounds investing in a business and going, well, they didn't contact me. The phone works both ways. And for anyone who's listening that wants to change a life, you've got to take ownership of that. Stuff doesn't come to you by just sitting and waiting. And look, you're proof in that, Ibrahim, because you've constantly made changes in your life and in your business that have got you better results. Now, if you were to pick one of those key decisions or changes you made that has had the biggest impact in your success, yeah. which one would you say it would be? If I'm honest, it would be when I said to myself, I'm never going to work for anyone ever again. Yeah, it, it was a decision. It's, again, Tony Robbins, right? It was, what is a decision? A decision is to cut yourself from any other options. There are no other options. I am no longer working for anyone again. If you say that and you really mean it, that's a huge decision, right? First of all, it's a decision that's going to give you all the freedom you need in your life, but it's also a decision that means you're going to have to work really, really hard. Because how do you replace that income if you're not working for someone? You're going to have to create something of your own, you know, and that isn't easy to do. There's a lot of different strategies. There's a lot of different ways that you can do this, but nonetheless, you have to go and do that. So I think that decision, I was forced into making it, to be honest, because I had to look at myself in the face. So essentially, it was when I was working for the corporate firm in the city and, um, you know, proud to that, proud to that. Let's give it a couple of weeks before that. My dad, 
again, not my real dad, but my father figure who I grew up with in Nigeria, my uncle, he passed away. And it's just those kind of situations where you have to weigh up. Okay, you know what? And this is what happens in the corporate world. You have to weigh up. Okay, do I take time off? Okay, you know what? He's in Nigeria. There's nothing I can do anyway. So you know what? I'll probably just leave this one, right? Two weeks later after that, I get a phone call. My mom's just been admitted into hospital. She's in intensive care, right? Because she's got COVID. And the only thing keeping her alive is a ventilator. So I'm calling like, you know, I'm of African descent. Right? Like I'm the eldest as well. So you've got all this family calling in. Everyone's trying to find out what's going on. I've got my two younger siblings. Like, I've got to take a break. Like, I've got to sort all this stuff out. And at the same time, I'm trying to process how I'm feeling about this. Like, I'm about to lose my mom. So I called them up and just said, hey, look, I've, I've got to take time off. And just you know, the attitude and the behavior, almost as if I was taking the piss. Almost as if, like, we don't really want to... I just, like, I felt that small because I was so emotionally vulnerable at that time. And, like, the way they behaved, and I'm thinking, the way that I've performed for this business, so clearly I'm just a number, clearly it doesn't matter about performance, you're just another cog in the wheel. And you know what? If I drop that tomorrow, they're just going to take that cog out, put a new one in, and the wheel just keeps turning, right? People say the system is broken. That could not be further from the truth. The system is not broken. The system is working perfectly fine for the system. And if you want to make a difference, then you are the one who needs to make that difference in your life. Otherwise, you're going to remain in the system. Yeah. I, do you know what, Ibrahim? I think that's so powerful because a lot of people don't like to be the cog that gets removed. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting that both of us have a similar experience that we both, the decision was kind of taken away from us because mm -hmm. the same thing happened to me when I was off work with my depression, came back, company didn't need me anymore, you know? And for me, it's a blessing. One thing that I think stops a lot of entrepreneurs from taking this leap away from their jobs into business is the need or the need to be stable, secure. We come back to the security again. Yeah. And clearly in your journey or experience, you've had a lot of, uncertainty and instability that you've clearly overcome. What advice would you give to other entrepreneurs that need to take that leap, but a little bit too comfy in their corporate jobs or any job, a little bit too reliant on their monthly salary and are a bit afraid of that lack of stability and security in their life? I guess for me, I think it's it's how you perceive risk. How do you perceive risk? You know, the, the way that I perceive risk when I was in that environment, I looked at that and said, okay, my, my partner's pregnant. We're expecting a child. What if this was my daughter and they're now telling me or trying to make me feel away for trying to take time off because my daughter's ill? Now, the reality is I'm going to lose my shit and I'm going to leave anyway because it's like, it's my daughter. I'm going. I'm not even asking permission. I'm going. So now I'm going to put my family in a position where they're not vulnerable because I'm going to lose this job that's given me this certainty to provide for my family. So which is the biggest risk? You know, the risk for me is that nine to five life, you know, where you're working, you're giving your soul to this business and this organization. And then in the end, someone else actually has the control to decide when they're going to pull the plug on you. And the reality is, let's just play this out. Let's play this out to say, you know, you, they don't pull the plug on you. You know, you get to 60, 65, you come to retirement. What's really in this retirement? How does this life look? How does this life look? I've spoken to people where, you know, this gentleman, I'll give you a story. This gentleman, he's 65 years old. He's worked for BT his whole life. He was laying cables. And then one day they just made him redundant. And this guy is making £650 a month at the age of 65. In the most vulnerable time in his life, 
He's earning the least he has ever made. That's the nine to five. So which one is more risky? Ought to be in a position where you can do what you want, when you want, with whoever you want, because you've got enough money in the bank, because you've backed yourself to start with. Yes, it's risky to start a business because the business might fail. But the reality is, you can go back to your nine to five if it fails. Right? But also, there are ways to mitigate that failure. Get mentorship. Get someone who's done that before. Because a lot of times people say, I want to start something new, and then you just go and crack on. Listen, that's great. It's an entrepreneurial flair. But in this day and age that we're in now, if you look at the greatest minds of our times, they all had mentors. And these people had mentors. So why would we not do the same thing? Go and seek out someone in the field that you want to you know, go into who's already had the success that you're looking for and then get that person to guide you in that journey. That's going to give you a much higher probability of that business becoming successful. But if you're basing this on risk, then it really depends on how you see risk. For me, the nine to five, the corporate where someone has got more control is the bigger risk than me actually backing myself and going to create a beautiful family, a beautiful future for my family. And what changed for you when you became a dad? It, it, it's really strange. For me, it wasn't when I became a dad. Um, for me, it was when I knew I was going to become a dad. Oh, wow. That that that's when the whole mindset shifted because it's like, bro, bro, you're like you're gonna have a like you're gonna have someone looking up to you. You're gonna have a family who is not just looking up to you, but like you are responsible for these people. You're responsible, like it's up to you because me and my partner are very traditional. You know, so now she was not going to be working anymore. So the only income was going to be myself, right? So it's like, okay, first, we've got to be in a position where it doesn't matter, right? But also got to be in a position where, again, this child, when she comes into this world, she's never, ever going to know the life that I've lived before, right? And I need to make sure that she's got all of the opportunities. Again, I need my daughter to go to private school if she goes to school. You know, we might do homeschooling. But if she goes to school, I need her to go to private school. I can't have these schools you know, implementing things into my child's mind, things that I don't feel is best for my... I can't have someone else just raising my child how they want. In a private school, I can go into that private school, I can understand what is the ethos of this school before then putting my child into that school. I need to have that control over the way... I could be wrong, but I would rather implement my philosophy, my psychology, than just someone random, the state psychology or the principal psychology in some dodgy school. So all of these things, you know, made me realise, well, listen you've got to go for it and there's no other options make a decision that was it wow and what a powerful decision that was for you and you talked about part of your journey has been by finding mentorship being inspired by people yeah looking forward now who inspires you right now ibrahim <sighs> I, I, genuinely it's a it's a it's a tough question because again i go back to i don't look at people like that i don't look at I don't look at someone and say, I want to be like that person. I don't look at people like that for me doesn't do it. And again, that's why I, um, you know, going back to my podcast, the Need to Succeed podcast. And I love this, by the way. I love this because this is very, very similar to the conversation that I want to have. I'm not here to talk about your successes. You do that enough on Instagram. And there's a lot of other podcasts doing that. Talking about all this money you made and all these deals you're doing. Cool. What's that journey? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, what's that journey? What is going to inspire someone 
or give them at least some tools to understand. Listen, we'll go through tough times. You know, hopefully someone watching this knows power of decisions, taking action, being willing to do what other people won't do so you can get the results that other people want. You know, hopefully that's what people kind of take out of this. And in those conversations, people can take a lot of different things out. So for me, I think it's more about, you know, reading and learning from people's exp um, experiences. So I've just gone through something in my business and I went back and I read this book, The E-Myth, right? The E-Myth Revisited by Michael E. Gerber. And it's an incredible book talking about, you know, entrepreneurs and when they're starting their businesses. So it's more, I get inspired by information that I can take action on as opposed to actually being inspired by people saying you know what I, I look up to this person so much I want to be I don't I don't really you know Tony Robbins has had a massive impact on my life right so you know if there's anyone I'll probably say something like that again someone who I said I never really looked up to people but you know I'm a massive Man United fan and you know when I was growing up Alex Ferguson was that guy I was like if there's anyone I want to meet because I never have that oh I would love to meet that person I love but I, is there anyone I want to Alex Ferguson right so those are probably the only two people I would say in my life I've, I've kind of felt like, you know what, you guys have had, not, not that satisfying to have a huge impact in my life. I guess he did as a football fan because he made us win a shit ton of trophies. <laughs> so yeah, he did have an impact in that way. But um, yeah, he's, he's the only one that said I would love to meet that guy. And then Tony Robbins is one. Not that I would love to meet him, but like he's really, you know, you hear me talk about him a lot because I've really digested a lot of his content. Even on the financial side, you know, Money Master the Game, that really kind of taught me about you know, the way money really works, mm -hmm. right? And how to invest and how to think about money and all this sort of thing. So even from that side, because people think he's just a motivational speaker, which he hates, by the way, um, but it's, it's not that, right? So um, yeah, he's inspired me a lot in a, in a lot of ways. So I guess Tony Robbins would actually be the one. And that's why I find inspiration so interesting because it means different things for different people. Mm -hmm. You know, talking about being inspired, some people want to be the person who go, oh, I'd love to be that person. Whereas you're thinking, actually, inspiration for me is more being impacted by that person. Impacted, I love yeah. that. And yeah. the, the difference there, because your energy shifts when you talk about in, impact, those people have impacted your life. You mentioned Robert Kiyosaki earlier about the Rich Dad, Poor Dad books mm -hmm. and learning about money. So clearly knowledge has been huge for you. So what's next in your learning or your inspiration journey with the Need to Succeed podcast, with your trainings, with your mentorship? What's next for Ibrahim? Um, to be honest, I have this, you know, I talk about being, you know, Pan-African and it's really weird. People hear that like, but your partner's white. I'm like, listen, it is what it is. You know, when love comes, love comes, isn't it? It is what it is, right? <laughs> uh, but I have got like this deep connection to Africa. And for me, I, I always look at things like this. I say, going back to what I just said about, you know, if you've got the resources, where would I rather live? I'd rather live in Nigeria because, you know, the quality of life, bro, I'm telling you, for, I'll give you an example. I, I, I was a vegan for about a year, right? And then I went back to Nigeria. I'm because we're like, shut up, it's on me. What are you talking about, right? Um, but, but I ate some food and I just remembered the taste. Like, it's genuinely different. This is like organic food. And, you know, they say we're poor. But we're eating like kings. The food that we eat is natural, it's organic, and this is just normal. It's not like we're trying to be organic. It's just organic stuff. Do you know what I'm saying? You get the sun. I don't need to worry about, am I taking in enough bloody vitamin D? Don't have to worry about that sort of stuff. Do you know what I'm saying? I just live a good quality of life. Yeah. You know, and the income. So for me, I've got this drive where I say, okay, there's this brain drain coming out of Africa at the moment, you know, particularly in Nigeria. I know it's mainly Africa, but I'm going to talk from a Nigerian standpoint. And, you know, the brightest minds are coming this way. And I understand because, you know, opportunities are starved in Nigeria at the moment. So I want to get to a position where I'm able to really help diasporans earn income here in the UK. Get to a position where it is passive, 
right? Where they can be generating three, four, five K every single month, even though they're not in the business. And I truly believe, I do not see how we will not start getting traffic going back. Because listen, 4K, back home in Nigeria, 2K, 3K, you've paid your rent for the year in a good location for the year. And then next month, you got that money coming again. And then you go, what's going to happen? You're going to start creating opportunities, you know, with some of the knowledge and the opportunities that we've seen here that are not quite back home at the moment. We're going to start taking the things back and imp implementing them on a higher level. So for me, it's like, if I can do that for a couple hundred people, that's going to be impactful. Listen, who knows where it's going to get? Maybe it's going to get to 1,000, 2,000, 3,000. But I feel even a couple hundred people being able to do that would be, um, would be massive. So that's definitely a focus for me at the moment. Um, well, it's not focused at the moment. That's, you know, that's the goal. That's what I'm looking at. In terms of the podcast, genuinely, I don't know. I've had a few people ask me, like, what do you want to do with your podcast? I'm like, I don't know. I just want to have conversations with great people who I want, like Ibrahim, 12 years ago, you know, listening to this stuff. He's in that bloody shed and he's listening and he's thinking, you know what, it's still possible. You know what, like, look at this guy's story. You know what, maybe let me start today, right? And just knowing that it's still possible for them, right? So that's really what that, you know, that podcast is all about. And, you know, we'll see where that goes. I don't have any intention behind it. I've also got a focus of 2023 being a year where I really build up my personal brand. So I know the podcast would help with that. Um, and in terms of the coaching, I've just seen the crap happen in the industry. I've seen the crap happening. I feel like, um, I, feel like I, I can motivate people. Um, a lot of people have said it to me enough times. Um, I also genuinely, I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm humble about it. I genuinely feel like I've got the, you know, the oratory ability to actually you know, inspire people. So I want to use that in the element of coaching. But I didn't just want to be, because my mom said to me, why don't you like, you should be like a motivational speaker. And I was like, yeah, but there's nothing tangible at the end of that. Like motivation wears thin. How can I give people a practical um, strategy to actual monetization, you know, and that's where the business coaching in terms of, you know, Airbnb management, what I actually do as a business. And I'm like, well, let me just coach people in this because the reason why I created that strategy in the first place is because it is a low-hanging fruit. You know, you don't need to have a lot of money. You don't need to have credit. You don't need to have, you know, um, a deposit. You don't need to have. If you were me, when I was starting, I said, if I was Ibrahim, like those years ago, I am Ibrahim, but you know, you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> but like, how does he get started when he hasn't got any money? He hasn't got any credit. No one believes in him to become a, a guarantor for him. How does he get into this? Mm. Right. And that's why I created this particular strategy, because as long as you're willing to work hard, like, I can give you the strategy and I don't want to hear no excuses. Right. Because then you can do it as well. So that, that's really what this is all about. So um, I don't know if that answered the question, but that's kind of my, my world at the moment and the things that I'm focusing on and, you know, where that goes, you know, by the grace of God. Um, yeah, we, we, we achieve it because I feel like there is a void of credibility in the industry at the moment, a void of maybe not just credibility because some people have actually achieved things in property, but a void of, of character, mm. of value. I, I don't feel like there's any character right now in the industry and it's quite, it's quite distasteful. Look, there's going to be one or two. There's a lot of people who I respect um, in the industry. You know, for example, I'm not ashamed to say it because I don't always like naming names because then you're kind of tied to that. But, you know, someone like Jamie York is someone who I admire and I really look up to him because I I've worked with him and I understand, you know, where he's coming from. He's coming from a place of integrity, a place of value. So I'll always give him a shout out, right? Mm -hmm. But I can't do that for a lot more people. Yeah. I find it really honest though and raw, Ibrahim, the way you approach it. And that's why you were one of the first guests I wanted to bring on to Inspired By because your story is not only inspirational because 
the inspiration and motivation, like you said, can wear thin, but you've taken the practical steps and you're now teaching others to do that as well. So mm -hmm. definitely really grateful for hearing that. And guys, if you're watching here on our YouTube channels or on our podcasts, obviously do just follow in the links and look at Ibrahim's stuff. We'll put the podcast in there, The Need to Succeed. Obviously, if you want to, you can listen to the episode where Ibrahim interviewed me. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> you should. You should listen to that. That was a great, I, I, honestly, it was so good. So uh, you should definitely, definitely listen to that one. And I love it. I got my own back today with, uh, with <laughs> turning the tables. But Ibrahim, it's been so great to have you here. Now, we have a tradition on the show. Right at the end, we've talked a lot about inspiration. Now, we're both very fortunate to hang around and be surrounded by many inspirational people. Yeah. Who do you know that has an inspirational story that you think should be telling it on this show next? Ooh. If I'm honest, I'm trying to think about others, but, you know, one name just came to mind straight away. Um, I had him on my show, and when he told me his story... Um, my jaw dropped. I couldn't believe it. And I couldn't believe, you know, that unfortunately he didn't have a mentor like you. Because for those listening who don't know, you actually helped me, you know, when it came to my public speaking and crafting my stories. You know, it was you that kind of helped me piece it together because I was saying to you, I haven't got a story. And when we came out, you were like, are you fucking mental, mate? <laughs> <laughs> um, because, you know, those things are not things that we like to talk about. So I was kind of embarrassed about sharing these things. But, you know, you really kind of helped me, you know, get the confidence and piece everything together. So, yeah, I'm really grateful for that but i was sitting there thinking oh, this guy needs chloe right mm. um and it, its name is napa he's also in the property industry napa Bafikele. um incredible incredible wow. story yeah well thank you very much well napa you've heard it here we'll get that arranged and so many of our viewers and our listeners can also be inspired by his incredible story which i'm now looking forward to hearing as well well Ibrahim, thank you as always i have really enjoyed this and i've loved being on the other side of the chairs here <laughs> so thank you for sharing is there any other final words of wisdom you want to share with our viewers and our listeners honestly just you know first of all to say thank you very much for having me on uh it's a pleasure and honor like you said being one of the first people to come on here as well uh genuinely I know this is going to be huge, you know, because of just who you are. That's just how you're going to do it. So I'm really grateful for, you know, for being invited on here. Um, but just to find a word is just, look, if you want to do something, all you've got to do is first of all, believe it's possible because it is possible. Nothing in this world has ever been created without first being conceived here. It doesn't matter. This mic that we're speaking into, when the person first thought about creating a mic, they thought about it in their mind first before it ever came to implementation. So whatever it is that you want to achieve, first of all, just have a picture of it. Visualize it every single day. Understand that it is possible because it is. If one person has done it before, then you can do it as well. And then you go out there and implement because listen, nothing happens without taking action, right? Applied knowledge is power, not knowledge is power. So go out there, take action and create the life of your dreams. Oh, fantastic. What a beautiful way to wrap it up on the show. So thank you so much, everyone. That is amazing. Now, those of you guys that have been watching and listening, I know there were many golden nuggets and mic drop moments in there. So do make sure you share. If you are watching on our YouTube show, put it in the comments, which was the most inspiring thing that you heard us talk about today. If you are watching on YouTube or any of our podcast channels on Spotify, Apple, or any other pl platforms that you use, do make sure that if you haven't already, you subscribe to the show because... We will be having so many more guests coming to you live. Now, don't forget, next week we'll be back with our next episode of Inspired By. But for now, have a fantastic day and we'll see you all soon.